I cannot explain to you the how happy I was at that time. And uh, you know, I remember like you know, kind of screaming of um, happiness in my little office, and my wife saying, "What happened?" And I said, "I closed my first deal," and she asked me, "How much?" <laughs> and I said, "Twenty-seven dollars per month," and she said, "You're gonna need a lot of those," <laughs> and she was right. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast, where we interview top founders on all things growth, retention, expansion. It's our goal to help you learn from the best by hearing exactly what they did so you can apply those similar approaches to your seed and Series A company. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder in Silicon Valley VC. I currently manage VC and startup partnerships at Zendesk for Startups here in Silicon Valley. Zendesk for Startups offers six months free for all things Zendesk for all qualified high growth companies. Hey, listeners, this week I had the pleasure of interviewing Eugenio Pace, the founder of Aus Zero. They sold to Okta last year for $6.5 billion. Three biggest learnings. First, it's never too late to start a company. He was 42 when he founded this company and he was a first time founder. He had been working at Microsoft before that, so he understood the persona. Developers over authentication. Eugenio prioritized the persona over what he was solving for them. So many times I see founders talking about the thing that they're doing and not necessarily the person that they're selling to. If you understand the person you're selling to, the emotional triggers, you're going to have no problem building an awesome product that they'll love to buy. Finally, don't overthink it. Talking to Eugenio helped me realize the simplicity of every business. Make their life easier and they're going to be jumping all over your product. It's an outstanding episode. You're going to learn a lot. Shout out to our top partner, Silicon Valley Bank. I know you've all heard of them. They wrote the playbook on startup banking. Check out some of their venture monitoring reports. They have some very interesting startup data. Eugenio Pace, thank you so much for coming on this show. This will be excited to welcome Eugenio. And one of first, before we just dive into some of those growth stories that you had with Zero, would love to hear when you founded the company and what it was doing when you first started. Because I know that there's usually a couple pivots. Yeah, well, it's great to be here, Adam. Thank you for having me. The story of Zero is a little bit of serendipity and confluence of many things that happened at the same time. We started Zero when I was 42. So I'm kind of late to the startup game, but I'm glad that I did it. And before that, I was at Microsoft, where I spent all my time working with developers. So my thing is developers. It's actually not security. So Starting out zero was a little bit like an unusual mix of infrastructure software, which is security, identity and access management, but with the developer envelope, which we never really move away from. So we have like many changes in our journey, but one, one thing that we never, never changed was our extreme focus on developers and making them successful. Very interesting. Did you have an initial product that you were like, hey, we're going to focus on this? Or was it more like, we just want to build better infrastructure that led to security for developers? No, actually, so my my last five years at Microsoft, I was working in what eventually became Azure, Microsoft Azure, which is, you know, cloud computing platform for Azure. And my job was to find things that will prevent developers from moving applications to the cloud or building applications in the cloud. And the first thing I encountered was identity and access management, surprisingly. So that's why I say security is not really my background. My background is developers. But security was a big deal 
in this new paradigm of cloud computing. That was the angle. So we never really changed. The original product was really more like uh, how it really started was really as a configuration system that will help you configure Microsoft building blocks, which existed. So Microsoft had these offerings in this space, but they didn't have like a great developer experience. And so we decided to build something that will make that experience much better. And then very quickly, we realized that that was very limiting because Microsoft's services, we don't control them. They can do whatever they want. They can add features, remove features, and taking a dependency to that was complex and not sustainable. And so very quickly, we decided to essentially ditch that idea and then build everything ourselves. So not take any dependency and run everything ourselves. So that was a big change in the approach. But it's the same problem. It's the problem is authenticating users, authorizing users. Very neat. The thing that I keep hearing you say, because you've said it multiple times, is we, we are developer first, we're customer first. So we have a mission that we're trying to help them, but it's secondary. And I love that. I would love to kind of pull that apart a little bit more. People just focus on the problem too much, but really problems are happened by yes. people. And so you're saying you're people first. Yes. So the developers are a very important constituency in the world, in technology world. But sometimes they are overlooked by companies because they don't have money or they don't necessarily have a budget themselves. They unlock budgets from others. So in the more traditional technology business world, you sell to technology leaders, you sell to the CIO, to the CTO. You don't really go to the developer because the developers are just building stuff. But about the time we started the company, 2013, there were already a couple of companies that were showing the way of this thing of selling to developers or building, building services and a business around the developer persona. And Twilio for messaging. We have Stripe for payments. We had Heroku for you know, platform as a service. SendGrid for emails. All these companies were awesome. They were doing really well. And they all have the same approach. The approach of we make the life of developers super easy. We take a complicated problem, maybe not a sexy problem, but we take a complicated problem that everybody has. And then we make it really easy for a developer to solve that problem. And if you look at Twilio, in Twilio, you have a single API that allows you to very quickly send an email or send an SMS to any phone around the world, which is amazing if you think about it. I mean, it's, again, it's not like that. Like a, In the big scheme of things, you might think, what's, so, what's the big deal of sending SMS? Well, until you want to do it, then where do you start? Do you talk to Verizon, to AT&T, to Telstra in Australia, to Deutsche Telekom in Europe? It's like a mess. Instead, Twilio is a single point of contact, two lines of code, and you send an SMS anywhere in the world. It's awesome. So we decided to do the same. We said this authentication world, it's pretty complicated. You can use anyone passwords, you can use social logins, like login with Facebook, login with Twitter, and many, many other sources. And then this entire world of enterprise authentication, login with Active Directory, login with LDAP, login with SAML, a very complex world, if you look at from that perspective. And we said, let's make what Twilio did or Stripe did. Let's make one API 
simple API that any developer in the world can use. And we will take care of all the complexity behind the scenes. And that's how we started. So simple. You knew your person, you knew what you were doing. Really excited. You tell us about the exit. And that happened, what was it, May of 2021? Yes, that was uh, almost a year ago. So it's been a very intense year. So in developer business, the key is how you sell. There's a self-service business. There's a freemium offering. And then there's an enterprise business, typically. So the way all these companies like ours, but the ones that I mentioned, they all have these kind of muscles, which are not very intuitive. And sometimes it's counterintuitive. How come you're going to give the product for free? You're going to give it away for free. How are you going to make money that way? Well, we get it for free. Developers experience it. Then maybe they pay $20 per month in a side project or an experiment or in a hobby project. But a lot of people have day jobs in a big bank or in an insurance company or manufacturing company. And that's where we go into the larger deals deals in the six digits, seven digits contracts, a developer will not pay with a credit card, a million dollar purchase order, but a bank will because we solve all the problems for them. So in early 2021, we had a conversation with Okta. I had a conversation with Todd McKinnon. He's a founder and CEO of Okta. And Okta is a very interesting company because they were doing the same thing we were doing but in a very different world. They were primarily in the world of workforce security. So in essentially authenticating users and those users being employees of an organization. So what we call workforce security. We, because of our approach with developers, we were doing mostly the vast majority of our projects were in what we call customer identity and access management, which is not your employees, but your customers. So let's take, pick up one example. Any of you are familiar with Netflix as a consumer company. There's employees that work in Netflix and there's customers, consumers that use the Netflix service. Those are the two experiences, workforce and consumers. We were doing consumers, they were doing workforce. And so for us getting together made a lot of sense because now together we can cover a much broader range of solutions, not just workforce and not just customers. We can offer our customers everything. We can become like a one-stop shop for all things identity and access management, which is what we're doing. So we look at the two companies. Okta is more like the traditional technology enterprise sales. We are more like a developer-led builders of the world. They are workforce, we are customers customer identity and access management. And there were other components of our coming together that made the combination really, really powerful. We were slightly ahead of Okta in terms of our global footprint with let's say 40% of our revenues coming from outside the US versus Okta was more heavily US centered. So the combination is two different companies, one problem, the same problem, a bigger surface to cover, but a lot of complementarity that made the combination super powerful. And we decided to go for it. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure together it's a powerhouse. We at Zendesk use Okta. So I use it every day. It makes my life really easy to get access to all the things, including of the, the outreaches of the world as we interviewed Manny. So it's pretty cool how small of a world it is. Let's dive into some of the early growth days that you had at Auth0 and maybe say after a couple of years of founding, 
when you began to hit that hockey stick moment or you began to say like, wow, we've really hit product market fit. We're moving forward. Can you focus on one or two stories that we could kind of pull apart there? Yeah, so we were somewhat lucky too. There's a non-trivial component of luck. And I think the biggest component of what we call luck, it's really the timing. Our company, I don't know, 15 years ago would not have been the same story. And we wouldn't have experienced that incredible growth. And see, we were lucky because when we started, cloud computing was already a thing, still in early days, still today, to be frank. It's not as pervasive as we might think that cloud computing is still something that has a lot of growth in front of it. But anyway, I think the timing was the right timing for us. First year, we bootstrapped the company because we weren't sure what we were doing, frankly. <laughs> we never started a company before. My first time as a founder and CEO, all my life, I've been in bigger organizations, Microsoft and banks and other things. And so I didn't know what I was doing. The first year was bootstrapping. The first big thing was to the first sale. And I guess the first sale is such an important milestone for a startup because it doesn't matter what advisors or even investors tell you, the true proof that you're doing something valuable in the world is a customer's check. <laughs> Nothing replaces that. That's the ultimate validation. And so in three months after starting, so it was like around April 2013, I signed the first deal and it was a self-service developer. And it was a $27 per month deal. And it was awesome. I cannot explain to you how happy I was at that time. I remember like, you know, kind of screaming happiness in my little office and my wife saying, what happened? I said, I closed my first deal. And she asked me, how much? <laughs> and I said, $27 per month. And she said, you're going to need a lot of those. <laughs> and she was right. Later in 2013, I closed the first enterprise deal. And that was hundreds of thousands of dollars. So for me, that was the first enlightenment that our hypothesis that we could sell to developers and through developers, sell to bigger organizations and get a bigger commitment, much more usage, a bigger footprint was real and we could do it. I had two data points for that. And so Absolutely. that was a phenomenal I, moment. I, I, the, the excitement around that must have been amazing because it wasn't about the amount of money it was about what it represented that you had validated the process. Did you know the first customer personally? No, the, my first customer was still a customer, by the way, which is also amazing. I really appreciate his uh, loyalty and he's like a big, big fan of Zero and Okta now. So no, I didn't know him, but he, you know, as a developer company, we were very active in the community, in Twitter, in everywhere where developers flock. Some of the how developers buy is through references. You know, your friends, their colleagues, and say, Adam, what are you using for this? Oh, I'm using Alcira. I tried Alcira. That spread of voice, that's how we know it's organic. And so I remember answering a question maybe in a forum. And then I scheduled a couple hours long Skype call with him and we kind of pair program for a little bit and Voila, a couple hours later, he was up and running. It was awesome. The second customer, which was the bigger customer, I knew them from my previous lives as a Microsoft consultant. That was, a, in fact, a former colleague of mine saw my change in LinkedIn 
and he say, oh, you left Microsoft. What are you doing? So we caught up, explain what we're doing, say, I have that problem now. And that's how we started. Got it. And that was a huge validation, I'm sure, to continue the momentum. Was there a couple of years later that you really felt that hockey stick moment or did that come more rapidly? Well, the first year was, you know, that was was awesome. Second year, we decided to really tap into the opportunity. It was time for us to do a fundraise and get capital just to fuel growth because we could have gone on our own, just adding more customers, but it would have taken a long time for us to do that by ourselves. And so getting our first round of investment, that was a big component of our growth because it allowed us to invest, but also it gave us a little bit of the legitimacy. Customers are great, no, don't take me wrong, but combination of customers and great investors that were putting their money in this adventure was another big validation. First investor was, besides some angels, our first big institutional investor was Bessemer Venture Partners. And having the sticker on my laptop, that gave me a lot of credibility with other bigger organizations. So we signed up like really amazing customers over the next few years. And they were the first, but then we added other investors. We raised a few rounds after that. We were lucky, but we were also picky. We were lucky that we could be selective in who we partner with. I would say that for any startup, investors are more than just money. The money is, of course, it's what they do, but their quality, especially when there's rough patches, because there there will always be rough patches. And that was a big, big thing uh, for us as well. And maybe another good milestone was our international expansion, which I mentioned before. We didn't really set it up to do, to go global, but we realized that everybody was, was having the problem. It didn't matter if it was US or Europe or Africa or Asia, everybody was having the problem. So very early on, we invested in people on the ground and having that reach and that maybe appreciation for the international market and what it means in terms of localization, regulations, and so many other things. And I bet that validation was great for Okta to hear when they were looking at the acquisition opportunity as well. Eugenio, this has been amazing. I know we're past time, but I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your story, sharing your milestones. It's inspiring to a lot of founders who are out there just grinding. And it's humbling to hear, but the timing is out of our control. All we can do is work in that and make our best decisions, as you're saying, consistently doing the right things. And the timing will usually work itself out if you're doing it in the right market. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam, for Eugenio. Absolutely. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com startups.